Hello! My name is... Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, please. Please wait. Please stay. I have been isolated here for ages. It gets really lonely. Oh, okay. Whew! Please don't do that to me again. Like I was saying, hello, my name is David Lever and welcome to a new podcast series. Basically, I've seen no movies. Seriously, name one. Go on. Nope, not seen it. And this, unsurprisingly, really annoys a few of my friends. And sadly, my I've got no time excuse has been slightly swept aside by the massive global pandemic and associated lockdown. So, starting with the works of Quentin Tarantino, I am diving into the world of cinema, assisted by my mates. Movie by movie, episode by episode, we'll be chatting, laughing and bullshitting our way through film. So yes, stay inside, stay safe, listen and enjoy. Welcome to Quentin Quarantino. Hello everyone, my name is David and I have seen no movies, but with me are some friends who have, and they're going to help me experience some actual cinema. So, in alphabetical order, because that's cool. Introducing Finn. Hello, I am Finn. Fraser. Hi, I'm Fraser. Stop laughing. And Jack. <laughs> Hello, I need booze. He's fine. He's okay now. Yeah, he's fine now. What this is going to be, basically, is a four-way conversation as we make our way through a movie following my extremely rapidly derailing train of thought, because I haven't seen any what really what people would describe as proper cinema anything above 60 minutes basically yeah if it's not a well no if it's not a marvel movie i've probably not seen it so to start off with because these guys all really like this this man we're and because his name sounds a bit like quarantine we're going through quentin tarantino's movies from his directorial debut which is reservoir dogs which is this episode so of course spoilers for reservoir dogs all the way to i guess once upon a time in hollywood if, oh, we, if yeah. we survive that far, we might be Ooh. dead by then. Um, if it is, this is the last piece of art we create. You could watch his first two movies and still have time for snacks in the time it takes to get through Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Jesus Christ. Jack facts. I mean, Once Upon a Time is fun. Okay, so I'm going to try and steer us on. So I guess we start at the beginning with scene one, which is the diner scene, where all the misters are sitting around They're chatting. All well-dressed. They're all well-dressed. Well, no, actually. Eddie is not well-dressed. Eddie is horribly underdressed. He's horribly underdressed. He is in every scene. That was the actor's actual jacket. That's good. Not enough budget that's, to extend. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah. They also didn't have enough actors, and so Quentin Tarantino's in there just sort of... Actually, I don't want to spoil my fact, and my, my first point spoil. I was going to bring up. So, obviously, Quentin Tarantino's here, and they're all talking about Madonna and what Like a Virgin means, and he thinks it's about lots of fucking. And... I've got written here, Quentin Tarantino likes dicks, but also I've got, what up, fellow kids? Because to me, seeing Quentin Tarantino in this movie does feel a bit like, what up, fellow kids? How so? I don't know, I, I just, I think because he's got such a... I know he, obviously, spoilers for later on in the movie, he doesn't last very long, 
But because he's got such a a proper part that's not a cameo, um, it feels more like he's just being impressed upon it. I don't. I mean, I don't mind it particularly. I just find it a little bit jarring. Like it took me out of it a little bit. You recognise his face. I mean, that was his first film. Yeah, with the hindsight of twenty years, no, yeah. that's Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. I was surprised. I didn't know he was actually in this. Uh, oh, did film. you not? Oh, no, I didn't yeah. know. And the next thing that surprised me was that he has a really awful little goatee as well. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that, and I then tried to unsee shocking. it, but unfortunately, you can't unsee it. <laughs> You know, that's going to be my first drink of the, of the night, is that dr- drinking to forget that goatee on. Mr. Pink's goatee is really bad, though, isn't it? Have you seen his facial hair? It's so punchable. Um, there, there is a German word. There's a German word uh, for a face that is begging to have a fist planted in it. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head. I'll look it up while, while we're talking. I'll find it. What, Alexa, <laughs> what is the German word for getting your face punched? There we go. Uh, back... Back, back, Feingenscheist. I, I, I'm sorry, Germany. If you want to punch me in the face now, that is understandable. That is the descriptor for his face. It translates as a face badly in need of a fist. <laughs> nice. One thing I would say is that basically, Quentin Tarantino wasn't originally going to play Mr. Brown. He was going to play Mr. Pink, who's obviously a massive role in the movie which annoys me a little bit, but he said to Steve Buscemi, who does play Mr. Pink, you know, basically do a killer audition or I'm going to play this character. And obviously uh, Steve Buscemi delivered. Steve Buscemi being Steve Buscemi. Yeah. But I just find it funny that Quentin Tarantino was going to make himself basically, you know, one third of the movie. Because Mr. Pink is is a massive part. Yeah. And he's such a weaselly... I've got later in my notes just the words, Mr. Pink is a turd. And I think that sums up a lot. It's a very accurate description of Mr. Yeah. Pink as a character, in my opinion. <laughs> he ain't he ain't great. I mean, none of them are. It's amazing, because you kind of like a lot of them, actually. And then you remember. <laughs> He's done it in such a way that you're almost rooting for these terrible, awful criminals. Everybody likes a good villain. They just filled an entire cast with them. Yeah. yeah. Everyone likes a good serial murderer. <laughs> I know, yeah. I do. Um, I, I kill a bowl of Kellogg's every morning. So... I didn't realise that the world's smallest violin joke, that one, that must come from Reservoir Dogs, I would guess. I, I was still SpongeBob. seeing Spongebob, yeah. Yeah, so I was just seeing Spongebob. Did you did you assume that that joke was from Spongebob? Well, having not seen Reservoir Dogs, why would I assume? <laughs> no, all, all Spongebob is just actually taken directly from Quentin Tarantino movies. Very few people know this. <laughs> it's lifted directly. Every single episode. Spongebob was released seven years after this movie was released. So what you're saying is, Spongebob is definitely influenced by the work of Quentin yeah. Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think it definitely is, though. Like, I, I really... I, I see a lot of myself and of Quentin in, in Spongebob. First name terms already, me and Quentin. At this point, Joe was definitely my favourite character. But yeah, I, I thought I thought it was a good scene. It's definitely a good introduction scene. The origin stories obviously kind of come later, but this is nice kind of non-linear storytelling, which I didn't know this movie did, but of course, everyone else... Everyone else yep, ever I, I literally this had this did. as a note. <laughs> I love the tipping discussion. I really love the tipping discussion, because... It varies between Mr. Pink being an absolute asshole and then him also making some pretty good points. His, he makes a pretty bloody good point about the fact that there's minimum wage for people that work at McDonald's, but you don't tip them. Personally, for me, I would just be like, well, maybe we should tip people who work at McDonald's. So, okay, so what I wanted, I think what you should do, David, is put yourself in the shoes of one of the characters in every single scene. I feel like you need to, you need to analyse it 
reenact the scenes, like live the life as live the character. <laughs> live it, breathe it, have. go full method, my dude. <laughs> I already have, guys. Anyway, as I live and breathe the character of uh, Quinta Tarantino, uh, playing himself in this movie, I'm going to jump to the next scene, which he is also in, which is the most famous scene in this movie, I think we would all agree. Which is the I think I think it's second. Really? Yeah. yeah. If if me and Finn are on the same wavelength, yeah, I, I think the, I, I think there's another scene stuck in the middle. We yeah, the yeah, the torture scene. Yeah, that that one. Yep, that's the one. I don't remember that scene. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember it at all. It left no impression. It turns out that David has been watching this on the child-friendly censored uh, side. Can can I just point out, like reading over the screenplay towards the very end of the of the whole like Madonna scene, I just love the dialogue between Joe and Mr. White. <laughs> Give me my book. You gonna put it away? It's gonna. I'm gonna do whatever I want with it. <laughs> yeah, they can tell they're old fans. But yeah, so when they're doing this walk you know i'd seen this walk in the simpsons and family guy and stuff that done it before so i was like okay i didn't i did not think i knew it must have been a reference or something else and yeah and i thought it was good and i was wondering if the entire movie was simply conceived just so quinta tarantino could slowly walk to to this music this is something that i really enjoy about watching tarantino in this day and age is that you realize that everything that's tropey and cliche like that you see throughout other media especially animation i notice is that they've just they're just paying homage to tarantino like, yeah, I watched um, when I watched for like Kill Bill all the time. I was just like, "Oh my god, that's where that comes from." Yeah, and it's definitely it's in Tarantino's wheelhouse. Yes, yeah, in it's in his wheelhouse to take sort of tropes and to take uh, genres and the sort of the components that make them up and make them very memorable and sort of either flip them on their head or just do, just do it better. And that's ultimately the sort of thought process that goes behind a lot of his films. And it's quite. I mean, with Reservoir Dogs, it's nice because. It's very early days, and it's quite... You can tell the beginnings of ideas that will show up, you know, later down in his career. I cannot believe how low-budget this movie must have been. Like, they, if this did well in the cinemas, uh, how much did it take in? He must have made a killing on the profits from this. They filmed it in 35 days. Box office was 2.8 million. Uh, and what was the budget? Budget like, was 1.5 million. Oh, okay. Where did that go? I've got some facts about the budget. Was actors, you know, he's paying... Oh, yeah, that's where it went. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm joking, Samuel Jackson. He's not in this either. He's not in this either. You just watched it. <laughs> Jesus. You're thinking of Pulp Fiction. That actor's called Randy Brooks. God damn it. You know what it is? They mentioned they mentioned Vic Vega, and for some reason, even though it's even though it's a different Vega, I'm oh, thinking of the fucking. You're thinking um, of Vincent Vega. I'm thinking of Vince Vega, <laughs> and for some reason, my mind's stuck on a cameo, and I'm like, oh, I like he's tying his movies together, and I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> he just likes the name. <laughs> That's the Vic Vega and Vincent Vega are supposed to be brothers. Oh, it is a cameo. It's not a cameo. It's it's uh it's the the, the Tarantino verse or whatever. There's also an ongoing theory about Steve Buscemi's characters in Pulp Fiction and uh, and um, Reservoir Dogs being the same character, but after the fact. But then it kind of was like, well. Like it could be, but it's not really made very yeah. apparent. And there's the same thing with the actor who played Mr. White, because it was the same actor. The guy who played Mr. White is also in Pulp Fiction, but he goes under a different Harvey name. Keitel. Yeah, he also produces. He, he's also, I believe, the producer of the movie that we are actually meant to be talking about right now. But uh, people have been talking about how there may or may not be connections between the two films, between those two characters in particular, Pink and White. But it's never been exactly proven. This is something I'll discover, isn't it, over this course? I have absolutely no clue what you guys are talking about as regarding pop fiction, whatsoever. So <laughs> let's move on, shall we, to 
the immediate cut from this lovely to just screaming blood in the car, Tim Roth bleeding out. I didn't realise that it was anything serious from the voiceover. I didn't get that at all. So I was just like, oh, some more fun hijinks are happening. And it cuts and he's bleeding out. And I found that it had both comedy and levity. Like it was still heavy while also being kind of comical, which is quite, I thought, very, very well done. But I did like the bit where, where Mr. White is like, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Like singing that. It's like what I sing before I do an essay. <laughs> I, I think I, I think those Before are equally equally threatening situations. Easily. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It feels like I've been shot in the stomach. But yeah, and then we get to the warehouse, which is awesome because actually, of course, you don't. I certainly didn't know this was going to be you know, the rest of the film, but it basically is, and it's a good location. It's a good solid shot, and the way he shoots around this place is really really great. One thing I did know about Larry is Larry says, "Oh, Mister White," he says, "You know." You're Mr. White. No, he says, um, you know, do you have a doctor's degree when the guy's bleeding out as to where he's going to die or whatever? But then he starts combing Tim Roth's hair, which I was like, do you have a hairdressing qualification, mate? Like, you know. I think I have a, th- I have a little thought behind this. I think that that whole kind of thing that he did is kind of in line with a lot of things you see in death scenes in, like, in mainly westerns where, like, they'll give the guy who's dying, like, a cigarette and a drink and stuff like that. I think it's more of just kind of... Comfort while you're dying. Yeah, a comfort a comfort okay. while you're dying, that kind of thing. I think that's what he was trying to do, because as you progress the movie, you, you, you understand that this guy is actually dying and Larry can't do anything about it, so the best he can do is comfort the man as he's passing on. Okay. It wasn't to remove nits or something. No. No, probably not, no. No, no, no difference between can't do anything about it and doesn't know how to do anything about it. That's also true. <laughs> he doesn't handle the situation particularly well. No, he doesn't, he doesn't at all. <laughs> I mean, he's not a doctor. Doesn't even, like, undo his shirt and, like, inspect the wound. He doesn't try and put pressure on it. He, he literally does, like, nothing at all. He's like, okay, let's get all this nasty blood out of you. He kind of starts to try and undo the shirt and then he just gives up, like, halfway through. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 like he just looks at it and just goes, I don't need to look at the snow that this guy's fucked. <laughs> yeah, so I thought at this point as well, with Tim Roth lying down looking at the camera, I was like, oh, Tim Roth could play the Joker. I thought he looked a bit jokery, and I googled it just to see whether or not he had, which of course he hasn't. Although he did play Abomination in that Hulk movie that no remember. He was actually oh, yes. good in that role, and I, that might people might kill me for saying that, but I have thoughts about that movie for a later date. in this Quentin Tarantino movie podcast, I don't think anyone's going to be particularly angry that you liked Tim Roth in The Incredible Hulk. I just like that movie in general, but you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Mr. Brown, Quentin Tarantino is dead, and I'm like, good. <laughs> At this point, I was like, Mr. Pink must be the mole just because of how much I hated Mr. Pink. And the fact that everyone's running and hiding just reminds me of whenever i've played the game payday this is what happens after i've played it when all of the all the chaos is i I mean to be fair this is kind of like as if like when is if like realistically payday went wrong so there is literally a reservoir dogs payday heist yeah Yeah. Uh, (laughs) i'd say at no at no point did i actually suspect mr pink you you cast somebody who looks exactly like a rat (laughs) (laughs) and you give them a nervous disposition from the very start and you make them an asshole, they're not going to be the asshole and the rat. <laughs> you sympathize too strongly. When I first saw this movie, I automatically thought that like the plot twist would have been that Mr. Pink is the guy who ran them out, because like you said, Steve Buscemi looks like a rat. <laughs> I just hated him, and I still hate him, even though I've, not, I've watched the movie on Saturday, and I still feel hate. <laughs> what I'd say is, so we're, we're out when they get to the warehouse, right? Camera, yes. camera work. 
I have never in a movie felt that the camera work was making me so uncomfortable around guns around guns specifically they take great measure to show that every single person is has yeah. a handgun is, yeah, and yeah the first that i was very uncomfortable was this was uh, mr orange when he's bleeding out profusely all over the place from the car to the warehouse he has still got a gun in his hand and mr white tries to take it off him in the car and then stops and you see he is waving this handgun around all over the place and i am fixated on his trigger finger and sometimes he's waving it around by one finger and that's inside the, the trigger guard and I'm freaking out because I think at this point oh my god he's delirious he's swinging this gun around. he's gonna shoot himself or someone by accident because he is swinging a gun around and this is a Tarantino movie yeah he's just gonna accidentally let the gun go off see I think that's part of kind of like a hidden golden rule that I've learned about through watching and reading about filmmaking and stuff like that show enough but don't show everything so that you leave enough for the imagination you know that these people have guns and they don't really use them much in the movie outside of a few scenes but it makes them comfortable because you know that anything yes. could happen at any Bathroom, given moment Mr. White and Mr. Pink they're discussing who the rat is there's a huge amount of suspicion here and Mr. White notices and the camera focuses on the fact Mr. Pink reloads his gun why does he do he that? He checks it and he reloads it, yeah. He drops his empty mag and he puts a new mag in and he chambers it. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. Mr. White goes back to looking in the mirror and cleaning his hands and the camera cuts away. And all I'm thinking is, either Mr. White's not thinking straight or there's a lot of trust. Because why the fuck did he just watch him reload a gun and chamber around and now he's acting like nothing has happened? I don't know how fucking nervous you'd be if you're surrounded by people that could have betrayed you and you just notice one. Just casually take out a gun and load it. I mean, the whole entire point is that, like, none of them can trust each other. And yet they do. Well, they, they, they rely on each other. Until we're done talking, don't fucking put a round in that gun. Mm. Mr. White is the trusting one. Yeah, I know, it gets him in so much trouble throughout the movie. Yeah, but so we've now gone into the next scene where Mr. Pink arrives. I like the different interpretations of what happened that they're clearly moving toward. I really like the wide-angle shot, like, it's pulled back and you see Mr. Pink and Mr. White at the edge of the room. And then the next scene is the flashback, right, to Mr. Pink's sort of getaway. And immediately, the first thing I noticed, there was a Wilhelm scream almost straight away. Yes. <laughs> so you know enough about movies to, to recognise that. I do know about the Wilhelm scream because it's in GoldenEye 007, the game. It's in everything. I know. It's also in Star Wars, I also know that. Yeah, like I said, from everything. There's no point raising individual uses for that sound effect. I thought the chase scene was awesome. I thought it was a really good, well-choreographed chase scene. Really Grand Theft Auto. So when the car's driving off, it's already on green light, I think. And part of the reason for this was basically... Oh, I just heard the Wilhelm scream in the background. <laughs> yeah, I heard um, it too. What the hell? <laughs> when they were doing this carjacking scene, uh, where Mr. Pink, for those who haven't seen it, pulls a woman out of a car through the window, basically they didn't have enough money to pay for the police to come block the road so they could actually have a clear way. So they could only do it when it was on green. Or they could commit an actual crime and film the real police response. <laughs> Imagine if that was actually the case. We're doing it live. <laughs> it's been done before. Um, the, the Crimson Tide wanted to film with the actual US Navy and they said they didn't want to because it focused on a mutiny. So they just filmed the actual US Navy illegally to get the, the pictures of the submarine. Was that attacking them, though? Or was that attacking someone else? It wasn't attacking anyone. They just waited for one to leave port and they followed it with a helicopter and filmed it. Yeah, but... No, no, it'd be more like if you committed a crime, like if you blew up a boat and then waiting for the navy to come out. Or if you, you were, a, if you were a serial killer and then you had and you somehow filmed the police chasing after you. To get that submarine to leave on your terms, you probably have to cause some kind of nuclear standoff. So I mean, if Kim Jong Un was filming a movie, he could probably get those shots. 
Kim Jong-un, I don't know if he makes movies. His dad used to make movies. His dad used to direct movies using kidnapped South Korean film stuff. <laughs> oh, Jesus. He was quite a, good, quite a good producer, actually, after they escaped. From award-winning director Kim Jong-il. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to Kim Jong-il, leader of North Korea. <laughs> they made what is called the North Korean Godzilla. I can't remember what it's called, but apparently it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's not the greatest thing, you know. No, it's fine. Considering it's been made under duress. <laughs> they kidnapped Godzilla. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it because this is not what this podcast is about. <laughs> I like when they cut back next to the warehouse and then they continue on straight away. I like the kind of, the fact that actually most of the scenes are filmed continuous. There's very few cuts. I was thinking how funny it would be, this movie, but with like the Star Wars wipe that they have. <laughs> like And a few extra <laughs> CGI rocks in the remake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Some CGI cops that look far less convincing than the real cops. <laughs> the final director's <laughs> critics cut. And then people are after the original, the original version that's like on VHS. Well, there's a there'll be a bonus scene where Vincent and Vic Vega like high five before he yeah. goes off to the diamond heist. The question is, when it comes to like in that standoff at the end, jumping ahead, who shot first and. We don't need that question answered, but of course they're going to. Yeah, the director's cut. They're gonna, they're gonna clearly show who shot a first. A couple of extra CGI. Bullets. They're gonna have Mr. Orange turn to the camera and say, "I'm the good guy," before him not shooting first. Yeah. So I was wondering, you know, is it gonna fill up with more people over time, and more people gonna keep arriving? And I was very felt very clever. Of course, I predicted exactly what's going to happen. So in the next scene... <laughs> Wait, are there going to be more people in this film? Are there going to be more people uh, in this film? I don't know how many were killed. Mr. Blue never shows up again. We can assume he's, he's, he's dead. gone deaded. Yeah, but yeah, so then they showed Mr. White flashback, don't they, about how he gets involved. He's clearly an old friend of Joe. I like Joe as a character a lot. Very, very godfathery kind of stuff. So then Mr. Blonde shows up, doesn't he? He, he strode in. And the first thing I noticed was nothing to do with Mr. Blonde. The first thing I noticed was how many deck chairs there are in this warehouse. There are so many. I just noticed something about, about the beginning of the scene we're talking about. In the script, it says that Mr. Blonde is sitting on a counter and he's eating a hot dog and drinking a Coke. In the scene, he's, just got the Coke. he's only drinking a... Yeah, he, he's just got the soda. He's he has the hot, hot dog. dog. <laughs> drinking the hot dog. He's blended it. That's the just... hot dog's in the scene. You just don't want to know where. Uh, no, no, no. The straw's the hot dog. He's drinking it through the hot dog. <laughs> um, here's a cool little thing. Just jump ahead. So obviously, what we find out in a bit is that he has a cop in his car. And when, so the cop wanted to get in the actual car and get driven around to like understand what it would be like. And then Michael Madsen was like, well, I'll take this opportunity to understand my character better. So rather than letting the guy out of his trunk, he drove to a Taco Bell and got some food and then drove back. Nice. Um, so that was, that was him getting into character. And yeah, this is when you start to notice Mr. White as, compared to Mr. Blonde, definitely the nicer of them. Yes, Mr. Blonde is quite scary. Yeah, I like that Tim Roth is still there, lying absolutely still, just for the most of the scene. You can still see him. I've got written here, Supremo acting from a near-dead Tim Roth. And there's a, like quite a nice, solid fight scene, isn't there, between Mr. Pink and... Um, which is when Mr. Blonde comes in, between Mr. Pink and Mr. White, which I really like, which I thought was really good. He's not really going at him that much. He hits him once in the face, and then he kicks him in the back a few times. It's, it's really not that bad. No, but you can feel the impact. You can feel that with the type of people they are, that he's clearly not doing anything yeah. other than yes. trying to... It's, it was about a certain dominance rather than a... 
It's like, if yeah, exactly. if you wanted to actually hurt him, you would have been kicking him in the front. Got two comments here. Genuinely thought Mr. Blonde might be a ghost. And then this one, Steve Buscemi is such a turd. So, I mean, on one of those points, you're absolutely correct. On the other... Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, Mr. Blonde was a ghost, wasn't he? That's the correct point. Tim Roth's character does all of the horrible things in it. He's just hallucinating. Oh, he's, multiple, yeah. he's got like multiple personalities. He's just hallucinating that Mr. Blonde is still alive. Um, and then he just cuts a man's ear off. Spoilers for a movie we're talking about. We get the flashback to Mr. Blonde's origin story, which I guess is about how he goes from someone who I imagine is not this psycho to someone who's totally psycho about the fact that he's just spent four years in prison. Well, I, th- I think it's just Quentin Tarantino trying to pose the question of how the hell does that even happen in the first place? Because you meet Mr. Blonde and he seems like very calm, collected, yeah, yeah. and much like a normal guy, and then you hear from off-screen encounters with the characters about how much of a psychopath he was within the heist, and then you meet, and then you meet him after the heist itself, and he still kind of comes off as a bit of like a very calm. I mean, you're describing a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, pretty much a psychopath. But like, things trying to kind of like just promote the question of how the fuck did that even happen in the first place? How does one guy go from that to that? I think the answer is this scene of him talking about in jail because the shit him and Eddie say I'm not even gonna, we can't repeat the stuff they say in this scene but fuck there's some real gross jail shit my god, not that it necessarily happened a lot of bums a lot of bums, (laughs) Um, I would say as well that his nickname is Toothpick Vic but I first heard it as Toothpaste Vic which is less threatening Oh my and god. No, that's well. not that's not less threatening in terms of prison use. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not at all. Okay, I am lost and I don't want to know, so don't tell me. <laughs> it's a prison joke, you won't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas you guys have been on the inside pages, so you know. Um for some reason Eddie reminds me of the genie from Aladdin. It's because of his body shape. He feels like he's got very wide shoulders here when he's in the suit and very thin waist, like he's coming out of lamp. I'm um, gonna grant your wish as long as it's heist related. I'm trying to visualize this, but I <laughs> cannot. He just comes off as a complete asshole. Yeah, I'm trying to as well, but I, I just I don't know if I can actually wrap my head around it. Do any of you guys think that Michael Madsen, Vic, Mr. Blonde, looks a bit like Paul Rudd? No. no? <laughs> no. Just me? <laughs> No. Okay. And well, he does not. Certainly not Paul Rudd no, well, at Paul all. Rudd. Okay, well. Let's move on to the big scene, the big discussion scene, which is when Blonde, White, and Pink are all in the warehouse, and White and Pink are basically like, okay, we're going to go move some car. And at this point, Blonde's got the cop out of his trunk, and this is the torture scene, so they rough him up a bit anyway, but then... It's not just move some cars, they go, and get the, they go and get the diamonds as well, don't they? I see the bag comes back at the end. The only person who knew where it was was Pink, so they must have gone to get it. Yeah, so Harvey Weinstein who was the head of Miramax at the time, disgraced rapist... And coronavirus patient. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the best people. <laughs> the only good thing to come out of the coronavirus is Harvey Weinstein catching the coronavirus. So Harvey Weinstein, um, basically, as the head of Miramax, thought that the torture scene should be removed because it might have a negative effect on audiences, which is interesting. Harvey Weinstein, I suppose, the expert on things that are unpalatable. So he wanted that removed and Tarantino stood his ground and, of course, the the scene remained in. And, and it's not even that bad. Like, not by our standards now, but by the standards of the time, yeah, I think it was. Like to, you can go too far and make inclusions like that unpalatable and spoil a movie. I mean, well, it's, ultimately, it's about if the if the scene, um, you know, progresses narrative or progresses some kind of character development, it serves a purpose. Yes, it does. It confirms what everyone's been saying the entire movie. It's a good scene. I would say there's a cool fact as well that I found on um, Wikipedia of all places, which is that at this scene, Wes Craven walked out, <laughs> famous Hollywood director of horror movies, in one of which he turns, what's he called, Johnny Depp into a blood fountain. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
it's it's pretty graphic. Well, it's not. It's just to be fair, it's it, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. It looks like jam. Wait, I actually want to see what this blood fountain. <laughs> it does look like jam being poured out of a hole, which it was. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Oh my! Oh wow! He, yeah, <laughs> that is a blood fountain, all right. <laughs> How did they do that? I want to know now. <laughs> I think they poured something vertically out of something, so it's not coming up; it's coming down. I'm fairly certain. How they inverted the shot? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> oh my god, Jesus! It's more like a blood explosion. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so basically, another guy that walked out was a, a famous like effects guy. And he said, actually, Tarantino, you should take this as a compliment that I walked out because it was it was too real. I was uncomfortable, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it made him too uncomfortable, which is the effect he was going for. Um, and this whole scene is good, like with the sets of the music, they all want to give me a rendition of what the song was because I can't remember. Stuck in the middle with you. Stuck in the middle with you. You don't want to hear me try. But yeah, so it's, and that, so and then he gets the gasoline and that's when, so I didn't, I didn't actually care about the bit where he cuts the cop's ear off, which he does do. But I did the bit where he started pouring gasoline over the cop. That made he me really stressed. He chucks the gasoline on the on the hole that is the yeah place. on the wound. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I found it very upsetting. When they showed the wound detail, I thought because they don't show him cutting the ear off, they were avoiding showing the the actual side. And then they showed the wound detail, and I grimaced and I was like, oh, I don't even want to know how they did that. Again, it falls on like like the same sense of showing you what he's about to do, but not showing you what actually happens because you don't but when really they need actually to see show it. the wound, and you can oh see, yeah, they do show that. I'm just saying the actual. You can scene see the ear channels, and it's like. There's there's a depth to that wound that confuses me and how they did it with makeup and it's it's yeah so I remember gross. looking at it too and I was like what the they hell build up the rest of the face on that side so the other thing was the comment that the actor who plays uh, Marvin the police officer makes about having a little kid at home that was ad libbed and it meant that Michael Madsen basically didn't want to finish the scene like he found it extremely hard to film this scene because it was so upsetting yeah it's not really graphic but just upsetting yeah. it's it's horrific it's the worst i mean M mr blonde tells him i don't care what you have to say i've heard it all before yeah. like this isn't the first time no. he's, yeah, he's done tortured. something like this of course he's tortured he just before. enjoys killing and torturing people yeah well we all we all a bit don't we we all do a bit but not to this extent I frequently, you know, not frequently, but occasionally I like to engage in a bit of it. And, you know, Mr. Blonde is just, he's gone too far. Um, but then, of course, the big spoiler, the big thing that happens is as he's about to light the cop on fire, Mr. Orange, Tim Roth, Freddy, lights up. So anyway, I started blasting. <laughs> he lights up, Mr. Blonde. Basically, majorly. I started blasting. <laughs> he makes it quite far back to the back of the warehouse, doesn't he? Yeah, he really, he really goes up. And I thought this was genuinely tense, and of course this is revealed that Mr. Orange is the police mole, uh, hence him being shot in the chest is quite unfortunate. Yeah, it's not ideal for the operation. No, it's not. And then of course we get the cutback, which is a really long... He's not shot in the chest at this point. He's shot in the abdomen. He's shot in the abdomen. Oh, I'm so sorry I'm not a professor of anatomy. I don't know. Yes, you are. I'm, 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 oh, shit, I am. Fuck, I've got to do a lecture. Sorry, guys. Go, go. Um, so when it cuts to Mr. Orange, now we get Mr. Orange's backstory. And I really got massive. Hey, Mr. Stark vibes off of, off of like, young Freddy. And the fact that whoever it is, Randy Brooks, who says to Mr. Orange, this is about how you perceive the events that went down, which is obviously in reference to him learning this story. To convince everyone, but it's of course actually more about the overall structure of the film, which I thought was quite nice. Then as it cuts to the training on the roof, Randy Brooks is shirtless. That was something I noticed. It's very important. It's very important. Just another thing to put butts in seats at the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> He's a very attractive man. And so, I, one thing I think my favourite thing about this entire thing is that 
the story that he's learning and practicing is continuously told from when he starts learning it multiple different phases to when he's actually telling it at the club to Joe and the others. And I thought that was really, really good. I really liked that. And then he showed a bit in the bathroom, which is very, very tense. Cinematic technique or, or not, LA really needs to sort out their um, hand dryers because th- th- that, that thing sounded like a jet engine. I was honestly concerned that his hands were going to get scorched off to the bone. <laughs> this is a statewide issue, of course. <laughs> so it's an endemic <laughs> issue. America's got many problems, but this is actually the key one, is the this air conditioning. This is number like, one. Like, like, Screw everything else. Healthcare, COVID nineteen. No, this is the best. This is the number one problem. Folks, we love hand dryers. Don't we love hand dryers? We love them so much. When they go, oh, we love them so much, folks. <laughs> That's not a jet engine. That's Trump doing unspeakable things. Oh God, Jesus! <laughs> Just remember that man has had children. So, providing he doesn't reproduce by budding, which I don't think is remind me. <laughs> so yeah, so I thought the slow mo hand dryer was the only weird part of the scene. I didn't quite get it, to be honest, but. That's one of the few things in this movie I thought was very weird. But the whole thing, the actual in the bathroom, the tension, because it is tense, because there's four cops there. I would love to hear Quentin explain the hand dryer scene. Like, I would generally love to just sit down and ask him, why? <laughs> I think it's because the co- the cops, you get all the this initial suspense, where all the cops are looking at him and the dog's barking. Then they probably think, oh, it's in a bathroom, so the dog's smelling something else, so they tell the dog to shut up. Anyway, then they go back to their store and they totally ignore him. But when he starts using the hand dryer, they stop talking because they can't speak to each other over the noise and then they start looking at him again because they've had to stop their story so i suppose it's focusing on the fact that because he's drying his hands he's made a mistake and they're all looking at him again they they, they literally forgot he was there but when they went back to the store i wasn't sure that basically the hand dryer hadn't like done the weed i don't really know how it works so i wasn't sure i was like do you use a hairdryer to do to smoke weed is that how that works so maybe that's no, it off. No, no, apparently not. The no, experts here, not at all. <laughs> n- not the experts. Sorry, it's uh, very illegal in this country. So, um, um, no one ever in this country has ever smoked weed. Uh, just so the police know. Okay, it's forbidden. <laughs> this is how we cover our asses. Yeah, yeah covering the country's asses. You, you're welcome. So then we get the the Uga Chaga, Uga Chaga. What kind of feeling? Song from Guardians of the Galaxy, which I know is an actual yes. song, but of course I. <laughs> saw this and having only seen marvel movies made even more popular by guardians of the galaxy yeah. that's that's the right wording you're looking for well thank you fraser uh, but it was it was a good song <laughs> it reminded me of a movie i liked and more importantly one that you've seen well that is true yes it's something that david's actually seen surprise, surprise. i didn't really watch guardians <laughs> one that properly to be honest guardians 2 i watched and really oh, enjoyed sake. <laughs> so maybe at some point i'll have to watch guardians one for the dark world uh, the incredible hole that's it the next bit, the crew's together in the same warehouse. They're all preparing, getting taught by Joe, getting sort of told the plan. I've got the equa- an equation, a mathematical equation written here. It's Mr. Brown is equivalent to Mr. Shit. That is the entire notes I made for the scene. Uh, it's just that. So and I like the scene. commentary if I've ever heard of. I like kind of heisty things, and this feels like, the prep for the heist. Yeah, I did notice that most of your I was like blank were games or things that are directly from some know, other thing. From Reservoir Dogs or from re- and reference it directly. Yeah. What is referencing this? I mean, it's like when I watched Jurassic Park, one of the few movies I have seen that I watched after Jurassic World and I was like, oh, I've seen all this. But only because I was watching Jurassic World before, which yeah. just rehashes Jurassic Park. <laughs> So yes, that's this is how I think a lot of the things were watched. Like when I eventually get around to watching Lord of the Rings, future episode, 
um, it will be like, oh, all of this stuff from everything I've ever watched. Well, that rings like that one in Harry Potter. That's weird. Oh, and this whole plot is like this thing in Harry Potter. Funny that, that this book, this book that was written in the 1920s has a hell of a lot in common with that book series that was written in the 1990s. Funny that. To be fair, The Lord of the Rings does not have something in common with every book series written in the 1990s. <laughs> Bridget Jones' diaries has very little in common with, you know, Bridget Jones does not travel to Mordor. <laughs> that's so middle fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, is it? Uh, I, I, wasn't aware. I don't even know if there's a book called The Bridget Jones' Diaries. I assume there is. So you then cut back to when they're still having some conversation. Like it might be just before the dynasty, when they're having a conversation in the car, all of them, and they're saying the worst thing um, actually no this isn't that scene I don't know when this is but they're saying some just terrible terrible things anyway so they're jumping ahead to the next major scene is when Quentin Tarantino is driving the car and he's I was really hoping because I knew he was there I thought oh he's not been injured yet he's got a little bit of blood on him but he's going to get absolutely pasted in a second and we're going to see his head explode. And I was really up for that. I'm really excited. That's what I was hoping too. I, I, I was I was hoping for like the classic like gratuitous flamboyant violence that yeah. you usually expect from a Tarantino film. But no, it was quite tame. I was really disappointed because, <laughs> I again, my feelings on Mr. Brown are that every time I see him, I'm like, oh, look, it's Quentin Tarantino. And so I thought to make it worth him being in this scene again, I really hope he gets absolutely exploded. Gets, he tries to shoot someone, he gets his hand shot off, tries to grab the gun yeah. with his other hand. Like, like Robocop. Yeah, but uh, instead, instead, instead he just crashes the car and just goes, I can't see, I can't see. And then like, the guys are like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. It's just blood guys. Considering that two of them are totally uninjured and he's bleeding profusely from his face, <laughs> why did they driving? think that he was the one who should be driving the caddy? Yeah. He's the only one with a license and they're actually quite, they're quite good on that. <laughs> they're quite though. concerned about being pulled over <laughs> after committing armed robbery. Well, Timroff literally can't drive. He literally doesn't he's understand. He's too young. He's too young. To he's 12. He's not allowed. One thing I would say is that I, I spoke to a medic friend and he said that most head injuries, you either die immediately or you fade in and out of conscience over a longer period of time. If he was going to die from that head injury, he wouldn't have died like 20 minutes after the fact, having driven. There's just no way he would have been able to drive if he was going to die immediately. Although I, th- I, th- I think at this point, we can probably just like take any kind of realism related with that injury out the window. <laughs> If you know about the story of Phineas Gage, he was a railway worker. And when you used to put the spokes into like the railway tracks, you'd use like dynamite to like compact it in or something. And anyway, it shot an iron bar through his head, oh, in dear. one side, out the other. Oh, Jesus. It took his frontal lobe yeah. off and it changed his it personality. personality. But he lived. He lived for ages. And then some clever fuck decided to invent the lobotomy. It's like, congratulations, you invented a way of turning people into zombies. Oh, David, watch Shutter Island. Okay, that's well, that's one. I, I remember watching adverts for that. Is that after the Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, oh, it right. does, Yes! That's the only bit of this podcast that's saying Watch in. that movie. Watch that movie. It involves lobotomies and tells part of a really true story, which is that tons and tons of US soldiers that came back from World War II are PTSD just got lobotomized. Definitely watch that. So then um, Mr. Orange and Mr. White try and jack a car, and he, Mr. Orange, in the moment, shoots this woman who pulls a gun on him, and he obviously it's gets shot. It's not quite in the moment. 
She shoots him, and then as he falls onto the sidewalk, he shoots her dead. Well, it was in self-defense. If you notice the facial expression he makes after he shoots her, it's she a face of like... going to shoot him again. I've kind of noticed that, like, at least my theory is that I think when, when, he, when he grimaces after he shoots her, I think it's just kind of like thinking to himself, that should never have happened in the first place. It's just she yeah. kind of yeah. pushed me to that extreme. He, he didn't want to have to kill her. No. Let's just give some friendly advice, though. If someone's already pointing a gun at you, do not try to reach for a gun <laughs> that is currently not in your hand. That's not going to end well. Depends how, how no. fast you are. She's really fast if you think you can yes, do it yes this, if you think you can do it reach for the yes gun. this middle-aged woman reaching for a little d revolver in her glove box yeah, was, not fast was the enough. flash i think what we're saying guys is if you think you can reach and then your shoot gun the guy in the stomach which, which won't even register for the first few seconds because of adrenaline i think what we're saying here guys is if you think you can get to the gun fast enough definitely go for the gun i think that's what we're saying no <laughs> no that's the opposite of what <laughs> we're trying to say what I'm saying. <laughs> No, no, but no, but you're saying if you can't get it, whereas I'm saying if you can get it, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> if it's going to get you shot when you otherwise wouldn't have got shot. I mean, you're already in this situation. Uh, so, yeah, but to me, that grimace, what that felt like was the fact that, you know, he's a police officer. He really would have let her shoot him and not shoot back, he, but he was caught up in the moment. He's clearly a little bit into this acting and this hanging out. That whole crime lot. Well, he's... He... He, he he's an undercover cop. He has to play the role yeah. very very no, no, very well. He grimaces he grimaces a ton just before the carjacking. He grimaces a ton when Mister White pulls a second pistol and kills two cops that were coming around the corner on them in the car. He, he shoots them through yeah, the windscreen. Yeah, yeah. And he just stands back and look on his face is like, oh shit's got real. But he's still playing a lot. I felt it like he was getting caught up in the action to me. That's just, that's just adrenaline. He's yeah. not enjoying it. No, 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 no. Not that he's enjoying it. Bear, bear in mind, all the other police officers chasing them will probably shoot him without knowing who he is. That's true. Yes. There's oh, yeah, there's definitely. no way they're going to... Especially from behind, they're probably not going to realise or discriminate. He's going to get shot by his own guys if he's not careful. There's a chance they might be aware... They'll be aware that one of their guys is in the group. Well, I mean, if you look but back to the torture scene at the very end one? of it, the cop, like, acknowledges who... Yeah, the cop knows Freddy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he knew who Mr. Orange was, but he also didn't know him at the same time. He was just vaguely Big aware of who, he, of who his real identity was. Also, let's put it this way, the, LA, the LAPD is not particularly good at asking questions first and shooting later, so... No, they... Nope, they really aren't. He was probably going to get killed by his own side if, if, uh, if it came down to a fight. And plus also, the, the LAPD probably doesn't want to, like, give too much information about who their undercover cops are, because that, as that would, like, they just kind of, uh, yeah, <laughs> cause a lot of issues, to say the least. I so. mean, there's, yeah, the, the concern is if there's a cop who's undercover. Maybe he has a badge on him and his plan was, like, if possible, in the middle of a gunfight. Don't shoot this yeah, man. Don't go for your gun. Go for your uh, go for your badge. badge. Yeah, if you're fast Put enough, put a bullet go for in Mister White and chuck his badge out to the police. Yeah. <laughs> Catch. Yeah, yeah. The badge gets shot, and it's like when Captain America throws his shield. Again, Marvel reference. The only movies I've seen. Just put it this way: conclusion to be made from this movie. This was not a well-planned operation by the LAPD. No. No, it really wasn't. They got quite a lot of civilians killed, quite a lot yeah. of officers killed, and they got their inside guy killed. Like this is really not a good. And they did yeah. get their, their target, so worth it. it. It just seemed like kind of like something just decided to do off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> they just sat on the table like one day and just thought it'd be like like quite fun. Yeah, what? Let me just do this. Yeah, sounds hey, fun. Hey, Bobby, can you get me a cup of Joe? Joe, you say? <laughs> I mean, the goal, I assume, was to take down uh, a much larger section of the, the crime syndicate they had revealed through mr orange that the main target yeah, was yeah. joe yeah. himself exactly so he's the mob mafioso yeah and they kind of get him just probably not in the way they want it well they, they got him in a way yeah <laughs> we're talking about joe so let's just talk about 
when Joe comes in. We didn't mention earlier, Eddie came into the warehouse a bit before, and now Joe shows up. And at this point, we end up with a really, really tense standoff where Joe is convinced that Mr. Orange is the mole because because he's the one that he wasn't 100% on. And, and so Mr. White pulls a gun on Joe, and so Eddie aims a gun at... Mr. White. It's a classic Mexican standoff. I'd say his, his instincts are very sharp, which is probably why he's in the position he is Joe, instead yeah. of the syndicate. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't ask the right question. He trusts Mr. White. He said that. He trusts all of them absolutely other than Orange. Yeah. But when Mr. White is defending this guy lying on the floor in a pool of his own blood, the question that he should ask is, okay, so who shot him? Because it's like, if the police didn't shoot him, then his suspicion would just reach 100% and he'd just kill but him. That's why we, as the audience, are not told that fact until later that it wasn't shot by a policeman, because we assume he was shot by a policeman. Yeah. But the, the main defence working in his favour is not just his, it's not his character, it's that, like, he's, like, like he tells Mr Pink, that guy took a took a bullet. Mm. As in, like, implying almost he took it for him. Yeah. Which he didn't. His main, the main defence about why he's not the rat is because, oh yeah, he's the one bleeding out on the floor, of course he's not the rat, because Nobody he's so dedicated to the cause, yeah. he's been shot. He gets shot by a random citizen. Yeah has absolutely yeah. nothing to do with the original operation. Mr. Bond also took a lot of bullets, I must point out. Mr. Yes, he did take <laughs> a, lot. a lot of bullets. <laughs> what ultimately happens is one of them opens fire, and they all open fire, and they all get killed. Um, Eddie and uh, Joe are like, dead already, but uh, Mr. White is still hanging on. Oh, and Mr. Orange is taking extra bullets. Pink is hiding under the stairs. He has nothing Pink to do with this. Pink is a coward this. weasel. When they've stopped shooting, Pink just gets <laughs> up and runs out and leaves. He's fine. Just he remember, takes the diamonds and head yeah, and heads. This is the role Quentin Tarantino wanted for himself. Just remember this. It's, yeah, but to be fair, he has no involvement in that standoff. Like. Well, not in the standoff, but in the rest of the movie, he's really important. Yeah, but in terms of the actual standoff, there's no reason for him to be involved in this. He's got three guys yeah, yeah. pointing guns at each other and shouting over something that he's not particularly involved in. He's not the son of Joe. Mm. He's not trying to defend particularly Mr. Orange uh, because he said early he doesn't trust anybody. Exactly. And he's certainly not going to stand up for Mr. White in this situation, who he's already been calling an idiot and irresponsible yeah. for like half the film. So he's just he's just going to sit aside and wait for this to play out. There's no gun pointing at him, so why would he get involved? Ironically, I think Mr. Pink is the only one who really is the professional, actually, because Joe, he does something he's not 100% on. Mr. Brown gets himself killed. Mr. Blue gets himself killed. Mr. Blonde goes too far, arguably. Yeah. Mr. White trusts... Arguably goes too Arguably. Far. Yes. <laughs> Arguably, and Eddie, Eddie's just a bit shit, isn't he? So I mean, what we're saying is that Steve Buscemi is the best. He's the smart. I think he's just showing it like it's like the other day. The, the cowards are usually the ones who kind of make it out of it alive. How does he get away from the police? Weasel cunning. I don't think he does. I don't think he does. Weasel Between him cunning. grabbing the diamonds and leaving, and the police arriving, is about sixty seconds. You hear gunshots before, so you hear gunshots in the background before the police get into the warehouse. Yeah, I have heard about this. Yeah, there there are gunshots in there the background. Okay, the question is, did he shoot his way out, or did they did they kill him? Yeah, I think it's ambiguous. Although, actually, I could probably double-check this, considering I have the script. So if I can just find the scene, we can probably find Ruin out. the ambiguity for me. Yeah. Thank you, I thought the noises, just while Faze does this, the noises that Mr. White is making are so unpleasant. These weird, grunty sobs. Oh, my God. They, they are the thing that made me the most uh, like upset in the whole movie, including the torture. That's the sound of a man who has lost absolutely everything and then has been stabbed in the back metaphorically at the same time. He's either dying or going to prison for the rest of his life. Yeah. And then, he, and then all of the things that he's just done were for somebody who 
for reasons unknown, maybe blood loss delirium, has just said, oh yeah, by the way, I'm the rat. That's before, yeah. no, he's making these noises before. He makes some worse noises after, though. Oh, I thought you were referring to the noises he makes after <laughs> his shot. No, that, they're even worse, like, as I just demonstrated. I will point out, the standoff might have ended if it wasn't for the fact that Eddie, being the thick-headed chump he is, decides to start screaming and shaking his gun around. Okay, so I have something about, about whether or not Mr. Pink makes it out or alive or not. It says here in like the description for like the scenes going on. It says, Mr. Pink is standing motionless. Finally, he grabbed the satchel of diamonds and runs out, out, out the door. We hear outside a car start, then the sound of a bullhorn yells out, police, freeze, get out of the car, and lie face down on the ground. Don't shoot. We now hear signs of more cars driving up, men running to the warehouse. Uh, so it, it kind of makes it seem like as if it's open-ended. It seems like he may have a bit of a head start against the police, but it's not officially confirmed whether or not he's actually has made it out of, made it out alive or not it's mainly open-ended i think personally the same actually the ending of the film which just to say what the ending is is where so the police come into the warehouse and mr white is now pointing a gun at mr orange who's just told him he was the mole and that he's really sorry and mr white's making these horrible crying noises and then it kind of pans up so you don't see the gun next to mr orange's head anymore and there is a gunshot it's very much implied that mr mr white killed mr orange and then mr white gets absolutely pasted but it's yeah. not it's not demonstrated. So it's possible that actually Mr. White gets killed and Mr. Orange, you know, could theoretically survive. He's lost a lot of blood, but that's I mean, how I read yeah. it. At least. I, I mean, what the end? I don't know. I'd say I, I read it as they all get just pasted. <laughs> Everyone gets the pasted. cops kill each other as well, just to make yeah, sure. Yeah, the cops run in and shoot each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they see the horror of it all and yeah. they start crying and they see everything that's gone down they go well no way we're fucking solving this shit and then just pop themselves off it's like bird box another movie i've not seen the next the next squad of cops comes in to like survey the scene they and, and they're even well. more confused so they yeah. kill themselves too <laughs> it's also a bit like that episode of doctor who where when you learn that you're a simulation you immediately kill yourself yeah yes and that is Reservoir Dogs, which I thought was really good, and I enjoyed it a lot. And I, I have trouble, trouble maintaining attention, which is why I don't really watch movies. I mainly watch TV shows. It did maintain my attention at like 8am on a Saturday morning after I've had a very late night. And I'm looking forward to watching the famous Quentin Tarantino movie, Pop Fiction, which I'll watch at some point soon, and then we'll do another one of these. Did you guys like the movie? So Finn and, and Fraser have all seen this a while ago. Jack actually yes. only just watched this last night or not even this last night watched it how long before recording was um, it like half an hour before we started <laughs> i finished watching this about 15 minutes before we started yeah, hitting nice. play on the recording professional this is the level of professionalism we're going for here this is how i get through my degree okay <laughs> i was running everything up to the last minute while drinking whiskey <laughs> so what do you guys think of this one then because obviously i liked it finn um, I'd say, I, I mean, I like it. It's probably my favourite Tarantino film that I sort of, I don't know, it's the one I point people in the direction of if they haven't okay. really got into Tarantino much. I, th- I, I do think it's really good. It's um, a good one to start for me then. Isn't yeah, it? it's a good one to start with. It's a bit rough around the edges, but that's just because it's, you know, quite a small, you know, small budget and like it's his first big film and so, but it, I don't know, it's nice to watch that and then see all the way through to like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Django or some of the more recent ones. Would you say it's a bit indie? Is it like an indie film at the time? Yeah, it definitely feels like an indie film. Um, like, I think 
the one I you know the Tarantino film I enjoy watching the most is probably Inglorious Bastards, mm. but um, it's certainly that is a uh, I don't know it's there are there are aspects of Tarantino's sort of style that uh, all throughout his career, and I think Reservoir Dogs is a really good one to sort of showcase them. Any more thoughts from you two? I I just like to see um, quite how much effect and suspense he can get from such a limited budget and really kind of rushed production it definitely is pretty intense and it's very like effective in the proper dictionary sense of the word when you say something is effective like it's putting an impact on the viewer like you said you were tired you had a late night you watched it at 8am and you were still fixated on it like i just like it because it's so unlike later stuff from tantino it's so cut back and has less yeah. Yes, it's stylish, but it doesn't have like this full frontal focus on style. Uh, it's just all substance. And it said, yeah, like I remember I was speaking to David about it before we started this, and I, I said, like in some aspects, it plays out more like a play, yes. like, like a stage yeah, play, rather definitely. than an actual Especially film that we see it as. Oh yeah, exactly. Especially in the warehouse mm. scenes in particular, which I think is one of the strengths of this movie. Good stuff. You'll see when you watch more Tarantino later that um, what I mean about the change of style and substance is later stuff. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. It's just he develops more he of a style. He evolves as you go through it. Like as as you go through his filmography, he definitely his style and the way he does his movies evolves. It's fun to see how he kind of how he progresses from film to film. It's very fun to watch, in my opinion. What? Like, mm. what is the final Pokemon evolution of Quentin Tarantino? I know this podcast is Quentin Tarantino, which I feel like is the second evolution. Ooh. So what does what does it like? It's like Trontin Quarantino or something. <laughs> what does he become? <laughs> does he just become gunshots? He becomes... I mean, his, main, his main skill as he gets on is the ability to, to permanently have budget. an excessive budget and an excessive amount of violence in even the most sort of peaceful and kind of like homely situations. <laughs> so I just thought of Quentin Tarantino remaking the sound of music. It's got Nazis I in mean, it. Oh my god, could you imagine? I'd be up for that. <laughs> I kind of want to see that now. So what's the, what's the next Tarantino along then? Is it um, this uh, Pop Fiction? Oh, that's, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Then that's Jackie Brown, good. then I don't know. Pulp Fiction, despite what I said earlier, actually starting the trend of him casting Samuel Jackson yes. and everything. Very much despite what you said earlier. <laughs> so, yes, that was my experience and our kind of thoughts on Reservoir Dogs. I think next time it'll be Pulp Fiction. I think it'll be in two weeks. Uh, this is just like a nice passion project while we can't leave the house because welcome to quarantine times, Quentin Quarantino times. So, um, if you want to contact me, you can contact me on Twitter at Dalek Platypus. I don't know if you guys have any handles you want or don't want people to contact you on. I can't remember my handle. I think it's Finn L. Mason. It's very simple. At Finn L. Mason on Twitter. I cannot remember my, my Twitter handle for the life I of me. I communicate <laughs> only by Tumblr and smoke signals. If you want to set fire to your house, <laughs> then you can talk to Jack through smoke signals. And um, you can contact me. Contact set fire to your house if you want to talk to me through Tumblr as well. And, you know next time maybe these guys who have decided what social media they might want people to contact you on yeah so thank you very much for listening sorry about the audio quality you know we all have laptop microphones and we do it over discord we're still yeah, figuring, we're still figuring this, out. this is a nice fun <laughs> project so yeah thank you very much for listening everyone please listen again bye, bye.
here's a Reservoir Dogs based like voice acting thing as well, uh, which is that Michael Madsen is the only one of this cast to reprise his role in the shit 2006 video game. Uh, none of the others do. That's brilliant. Wait, there's a Reservoir Dogs video yeah, game? Yeah, it yep. came in 2006. Wait, what? There is? Yeah, it came in 2006. It's shit. It's really bad. I'm, I'm looking this up right now. I'm looking it up too. It's, oh, it's really yeah, bad. there was. Yeah, no, I believe me. I know. I've done my research. Came out in 2006. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was nominated for the best sound for best soundtrack out of at the BAFTA Game Awards. <laughs> There's also a Sopranos video game too. That makes no sense. Also shit. It was called Road to Respect. It's 42% really shit. on Metacritic. Oof. And the Reservoir Dogs has 94% people like this video game according to Google users. I've watched playthroughs of both of them, um, both Reservoir Dogs and Sopranos. One, they're both really bad. Sopranos is worse, I think. I mean, Sopranos as a video game makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's about a guy who is like a cousin of Soprano family trying to like work his way up by like, Which earning cousin? Respect. Is it one of the ones in the series? I don't I think it I don't know if it's one is of the ones in the series. The storyline takes place between the fifth and sixth seasons, centers on Big Pussy Bon Pensiero's illegitimate son, Joey LaRocca, as his mate's oh, way so through this family is business. A bastard of pussy. Okay. <laughs> that is a sentence, isn't it? I'm just gonna clip bastard of pussy and just use that <laughs> pussy's such a good character though <laughs> it wanted to be gta but it didn't do an open world it tried i love that that they couldn't quite afford the actual likeness of tony soprano on the cover <laughs> and so it's almost do you know what they could afford then? james gandolfini as tony soprano wait is james gandolfini still james what? gandolfini as tony soprano Michael Imperioli as Christopher Molisanti. Molisanti, uh, yeah. Steven, basically... Uh, Silvio. Wait, it's got whole, Silvio, Tony... Yeah, basically oh the whole God. original cast is in it. Uh, it's in this wow. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's got... Oh, my God. This is amazing. Deep down, Finn's like, I want to play I do want to play this game so badly. <laughs> I think it's only PS2. It's only, yeah, it's exclusively PS2, so good luck. Watch him just, like, go around England looking for a PlayStation 2 just to play I the Sopranos video I do video really game. want to play this now. <laughs> Can I make that a mockumentary thing? Can I just follow you around and film you on your journey as you try and find a PS2 just so you can play the Sopranos game? The Sopranos game. Is I want to beat up AJ. <laughs> oh, my God. I want, I want to be Big Pussy... Series, bastard. You can tell me if this is a thing in the game. In in the show, sorry. For various intervals in the game, Joey is visited by the ghost of his dead father, Salvatore, who warns him about the trouble ahead. Are there ghosts in the Sopranos? Uh, no. There's The closest thing is there's a couple of dream sequences. Thought you were going to say zombies. Thought you were going to say, no, 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 there are zombies. And there's one of the characters sees a vision of the Virgin Mary. There's there's no there's very little to no supernatural stuff. I didn't think Sopranos had any supernatural thing. To be fair, it doesn't have anything. I want I want to be big pussy, Bob series bastard.